Hello and welcome to season four of the Bible and Me podcast. This is episode one of 10 in this series. So join us on this journey as we discover some incredible testimonies of people whose lives have been well and truly changed for the calling of God. In this episode, Nigel Watts sits down with Tony Hodges, an amazing entrepreneur with a heart for sharing the gospel, to converse about the day he came to know Jesus and how C.S. Lewis influenced his business, his charity, and now his number one hobby. The views expressed by the individual in this podcast may not reflect that of Preset Ministries UK. We hope this podcast inspires you in your daily walk and would love it if you could leave a review or rating so that we can encourage more people to the good news of the gospel. Now, without further ado, here's the podcast. Well, I am really thrilled to uh, be welcoming Tony Hodges to the program today. Tony is the founder of Anthony Hodges Consulting, a multi-million pound company with offices in the UK, the US and Australia, uh, serving some of the world's largest companies. And to quote from his website, ahc.com, we create communications that make a real difference in people's lives. We are a creative consultancy driven by a desire to help people make the right long-term pension and benefit choices. We help some of the world's biggest brands simplify complex information and to engage their employees and deliver greatly improved outcomes. Tony was raised by his grandparents in a council house in Gravesend in Kent and after school was involved in engineering, initially as an apprentice and then as a sales engineer. After a number of years working for others, he decided to set up his own company in 1996. Tony has four children. He loves the Lord and he loves telling people about the Lord as well. Uh, He says he does not like doing detailed work, which has no point to it, or tidying his room. (laughs) He cites as challenges in his life, corporate politics, a biblical knowledge without the heart of Jesus very interesting, and being a visionary in a world that is sometimes stuck in the past. Tony, welcome to the program. Thank you, Nigel. Now, Tony, uh, I ask all the folks that come on the podcast here, how on earth did you come to faith in Christ? The seeds, looking back, were sown way before I really had a consciousness of what was going on, I think, Nigel. I came from a broken home and and I was raised by my grandmother and um, even at the age of two or so would have found myself um, kneeling before I went to bed each night um, copying grandma as we said this Lord's Prayer which in the age of two, three or four (laughs) will have sounded something like (laughs) Amen Um, but some seeds that there is something more, someone more were, were sown way back then there was no discussion about the Bible. It wasn't a Christian home per se. Uh, Nobody went to church. But something was sown through that simple act of praying every night with my grandmother. Um, I guess God has wired me as a fairly philosophical and question-asking type person. Um, Little things stick in your mind, however. I, I hated PE at school. I remember... Uh, it was on a Tuesday. I hated it so much as I'd walk out the gate, I'd look over my shoulder and call out to Gran, will you pray for me today? And somehow, even in my child's mind, was making some kind of connection between prayer and a better day. I <laughs> prayed vividly, actually, even though I, I wasn't sure. To, it was just God. There, was, there wasn't Jesus. There wasn't the Holy Spirit. There was just this God. But I remember praying earnestly for my 11 plus and knowing that God was helping me. And I walked out of that room knowing that I'd done really well. And in fact, it was one of those rare moments in life when I think God reveals his pleasure to you. Eric Little of the Chariots of Fire fame said, when I run, I feel the pleasure of God. And at that moment, I felt the pleasure of God. And I did get a scholarship to go to public school. But my dad, who used to appear at lunchtimes, um, said, no, we can't afford the bus fare or the uniform. So I never went there. Mm. Um, probably one of the most profound moments in my growing years was seeing uh, the film Ben-Hur. And in it, there's a scene where you never actually see Jesus' face. You only see his feet or a back view. 
But there was one point in the film where a glowering centurion is coming, really, to attack him. And Jesus just stands there. And, and this angry bully, his face falls and he walks away. And I was always struck with, who is this man and what is the power that he has to call an angry bully like that to peace? Um, left school, ended up working in a factory, um, always searching, got involved with all kinds of things um, that you do at that age that aren't helpful or good. Used to, uh, ended up, I did night school and I ended up getting a place at university and used to hitch up to college each day and if you'd have picked me up as an older man or woman I would have said to you, give me one piece of wisdom to help me um, live my life. I, it was a vacuum, nobody had ever spoken to me about how the world works or anything and I felt completely and utterly inadequate to live life. I did graduate but that didn't really do a lot and sometime later in the middle of a marriage that was, I think you have to be in a bad marriage to, to it's a close approximation to hell on earth and I don't know where I got the book from. It was a Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And I'd picked it up a few times, and it was a dry and dusty book on religion. And I remember one night, I don't know why I would even have picked it up again, but I picked it up in the middle of this dreadfully bad marriage where it felt like the world was totally imploding. I had a good job, but I was as stressed as it was possible to come to be. And I just opened it up in the middle, and I started reading. And C.S. Lewis um, talks in Mere Christianity about the way that Jesus... The way, that, the way that God has marriage. And I thought, it is, I know it's supposed to be that good. And there is something about um, finding water in the desert. That's the only way I can describe it. The taste of that, I knew this is what I was being looking for. And as far as I was concerned, Nigel was alone in the room and just said quietly to myself, inwardly, I believe this. None of us can communicate what revelation is. It's a wonderful word, it's significant. But when it happens, it is beyond the communication of human words to communicate. And in that split second, as I said to myself, as far as I was, as far as I was concerned, I believe this, my world changed. The revelation, these two big words aren't big enough to describe it, came and my eyes were opened, as it were, to understand that Christ is, that Jesus is. And I understood in that split second the power of what Christianity is really about. And even though I couldn't see him, there was the quiet sense that Jesus was in the room and that words were being communicated to me of, I love you, I always have loved you. I always will love you. And the most massive of peace, <laughs> I don't know, that's not a good English sentence, the, the, the peace of the most extraordinary proportions took away all the stress, all the anxiety, and I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew that life was going to be very, very different from this moment on. Uh, I didn't know my Bible, I didn't go to church, but I knew I had encountered the living Christ in a way that I would never ever want to go another way. And that started my search. I'd really better find out what this is all about. Wow. So in a very difficult time, a very dark time, God met you. Mm. Mm. Yeah. In the I'm, darkest of times. I mean, and there may well be people listening to this podcast who, who may find themselves in in actually particularly dark times at the moment. What would you say to them, some people that are listening that may find themselves in those situations? Looking back on it, on reflection, I see in that that I had to do nothing. This wasn't, I had to make myself good enough for him. I, it, there was no performance, there was no, if I do enough good works, if I help enough old ladies across the road. This was a broken person and Christ coming to me simply because I said in my heart and meant it, I believe. Hmm. Step of faith, in a, a sense. Of, and I, uh, I now understand from my theology, this is a faith that God himself gives. But there was the yearning, searching, the restlessness. My friends used to say to me, you know, why is it you're restless? What are you looking for? And, and 
I say, looking back, it was irreverent, I guess, but I said, you know that old wives' tale, seek and you will find? I never knew that those were the words of Jesus. I just knew there was an axiom. And I'll know it when I find it. I don't even know why I would say that, but I did find it and I did know that I had found it. Really? And from that moment on, you knew that you were not alone? I, and you were on a journey of discovery? I knew that there was a meaning to life, there was a purpose to life, there were answers, that there was a source of inspiration and insight. And I, and I guess for that first year, I'm not even sure I had a Bible, I think for the first year, to be honest, I became a disciple of C.S. Lewis. <laughs> really, I read everything, the screw tape letters, miracles, the problem of pain, letters to Malcolm, and I just devoured it. And it was, this was, this was water in the desert, it's the water of sanity in an insane world. And I just couldn't drink enough of it. Oh, amazing, amazing. I want to take you back just a little bit. You mentioned you were raised by your grandparents. Um, you gained an 11 plus scholarship for a public school. And despite your headmasters recommending you to stay on after 16 years old for A-levels, your dad said no. Um, however, clearly you were a determined young man. Uh, you worked at night school to gain entry to university and came out with a degree in engineering. Electrical uh, engineering, yes. Electrical engineering. Um, were you always, was there always a determined streak in you from, from early days, would you say? I think there is a family streak on our <laughs> side of, you know, the good side of it is, is that it's determination. The bad side of it is it's stubbornness. But there is something about, there is a certain relentless nature. If, if I see something, I can't describe what I mean by see, it's the, the eyes of the heart, or the eyes of the imagination. But if I see something and I know it's possible, it's like, don't tell me it can't be done, because I've seen it. And I will go out towards it. I won't see all the problems between here and there. <laughs> but if it's possible, if, I, if I, there's some sort of knowing, it's like, perhaps that's that Caleb thing, you know, give me this mountain. But if it, it, it's, there is some sort of quite robust determination. But it can come often after some feelings of negativity and self-pity and back against the wall, perhaps you'd say it's that bulldog spirit, I don't know. But, um, yeah, I think that's one of the adventures of life for me, one of the excitements of life, is the great discovery of what it's possible to do. And sometimes I go out these days and I might find myself, a few years ago I was speaking at a conference in Holland to 150 MBAs, young professionals, and I felt that what God gave me to say to them is a truth for all of us. God sees more in you than you see in yourself. Every single one of us mm. is capable of more, can do more. And the excitement is this discovery on this journey with Jesus as to just who to learn who we are. I never thought of myself as a businessman. I, that was other people. I never saw myself as a company director. That was for older people with silver hair who had been gone to public school. I was a kid from a council house in Gravesend. Now at, at 70, next year I'll be 71, um, I realised that was nonsense. You know, With God, all things are possible to him who believes. Wonderful. Now, during your time working for others, you clearly had a gift for growing the organisations that you were working for, uh, be that with a recruiting company or, or as a business-to-business as a -business sales director. Uh, I mean, people talk about having a gift of music or sport. Clearly, you don't talk about having a gift of sport. <laughs> my, my, or music. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I my, can clear a church in minutes yeah, with my singing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you had a gift if I can say it, uh, and I'm quoting here, with a flip chart. <laughs> um, where do you think your ability to grow things in a, in a business context came from? Because not everybody's got that ability to be able to do that, but clearly you did. God makes us all in unique ways, and my view on life these days, Nigel, is I would say to anybody with you are a Muslim, an atheist, agnostic, whoever you are, uh, you came to the party of life with gifts. You have creation gifts. God is a good father and he has given you gifts. And part of the adventure and exploration and excitement of life is discovering who you are and what gifts he's given you. And I'm not talking about specifically charismatic gifts. You know, the child who sits down at five and plays Rachmaninoff's concerto without ever having seen a piano before, has a gift. There's something supernatural about that. That just isn't natural. 
And again, as somebody who's has always sought to be a, a student of life, an observer, a learner, and my my reflection is that I have some kind of gift with problem solving. So you give me any group of people on any problem in a flip chart, and for me, something quite strange starts to happen. That by some questions. And, and some diagrams will come to mind. I'll put them up. Is that what you're talking about? And something unfolds that's very releasing. And that just seems to work. I can't explain it, but, but the, perhaps one way is, is perhaps some kind of gift of facilitation. Um, and it just works. And over the years, particularly clients have found that useful when we haven't known where to go and what way to go. But I say, let's get the flip chart down, start talking, and, and things start to happen. And I think we all stand amazed and say, gosh, where did that come from? <laughs> and, and all creativity comes from God, who is a creator still. So I think he's given me some sort of measure of gifting in that creativity, that vision, that ability to see things that perhaps others can't see, and other things I'm quite frankly utterly hopeless at. And I always say to people these days, we are all, to, to Christians these days, we're all living letters. And my view is that God has underlined certain lines in your letter in a more pronounced way than he has in mine. So one of the things that I believe that God's given me to bring to the party is, if you want it, a gift of facilitation. And uh, it's certainly enjoyable. It builds relationship. I get as thrilled as the next person seeing an ideas come forth and... Um, you know, we joked earlier, but one of my hopes is that there are electronic whiteboards or flip charts in heaven. Um, but I think, having said that, we'll all be looking the other way at him, <laughs> not at oh. things that will become trivial like that. Yeah. But God is inventive, God is creative, and we made in his image have a great capacity for creativity that sadly can often get squashed out of us. And I would encourage people to adventure and try things that they've not done before. But mm. sorry, I'm mm, yeah. No, wonderful, wonderful. Now, in 1996, you started your own business, having worked for others, uh, which has grown tremendously <clears throat> under your leadership. Tell us about ahc.com mm. and, and um, how <coughs> you manage the business, clearly a successful business, being... being such an overt Christian. And, and not a detailed person. Um, <laughs> I'll go back a step before that, because I found myself, nine years before that, joining an actuarial company. Well, if you know anything about actuaries, they're highly detailed, highly analytical. And for a non-detailed person with not a very good memory, this was very, very strange. But I believe that God led me there. And if you know any of those management principles, one of the, one of the principles is the Peter principle, that you become promoted to the highest level of incompetence and so I got this job that I didn't really understand at all and uh, completely freaked me out um, and so I worked hard at it and I said well he's quite working quite hard so uh, we'll promote him so I got promoted um, to national practice leader and really found myself totally out of my depth um, <laughs> and so I, I then got promoted again and became a European principal and I was so out of my depth it wasn't true and eventually I was found myself in the middle, a, a core person in the middle of a £9.4 9 billion pound takeover of one very large UK company of another. And it nearly broke me, to be honest. Um, I've never worked for 31 straight days from the moment the sun comes up to the moment the sun goes down, without a break, without Saturdays, without Sundays, um, on high intensity, detail, highly legal, highly nuanced, masses of information, complex political situation. And I resigned halfway through it because I thought, I actually can't take it. And the company didn't accept my resignation. Um, and I thought, I have never been this stressed in my life. And I thought, if I can get away, I'd be okay. And I, I, um, we went away for a holiday, and I thought, I've actually got through it. We went across to Viv and the kids and me, went to Lake Garda, had a lovely fortnight came back and I had to run a workshop up in Newcastle for the company and I sat there on a Sunday night and this lonely tear ran down my cheek and I thought that's not supposed to be there um, and Viv said well let's cancel it and come on come and see the doctors and I felt a complete fraud the following day sitting in front of the doctor and she said um, you know what's wrong 
I said, I really shouldn't be here. And, and, um, and I feel like I'm living this mask. And uh, <laughs> I don't want to talk about Jesus. And I don't feel like it. And it was just, I just collapsed. And I was, felt like I was ripped apart because the, this false corporate me had emerged. And I just didn't feel able to express my faith, to talk about the Lord and so on. For all kinds of reasons. Um, so at the end of that, um, they asked me to go to London. I was very interested in corporate culture by this time, become something of a specialist. And I'd been, I'd done some change consulting in the Bank of England, and um, they asked me to go to London to help set up a new division. And I'd helped two other people build their companies, so they knew I was kind of, I would grow a team. I would, I, I'm a grower. And I just felt that the Lord wasn't in it. And I said, no, what's the option? They said, well, the door. Uh, and I said, well, what's that? And I said, that's a year's salary. Well, that was one of the quickest decisions that I've ever made. And I left um, thinking, well, I'll never go back into the, the retirement savings education industry. Um, but you never say never. And on October the 1st, I started in 1996. Initially to do other things, the reading for the day was quite prophetic. I'm going to bless you. You're going to come to a land of Canaan. The way will be hard, but I will bring you there. And that really has turned out to be a prophetic word. And over 22 years now, we have grown to become the largest independent in our specialist field in the world. We have a sales director in Denver, a consultant in Minneapolis. I have half a dozen people in, Min in, um, in uh, Melbourne and about 85 to 90 people in the UK producing stuff that is so complex it is totally beyond my ability to comprehend. But going back to this business of using the gifts that God's given you, um, he seems to have given me another gift as well, which is some measure of the ability to detect gifting in others. And what I have been good at is to find excellent people, people who are way better than me, and bring them in and try and create an environment whereby they can grow. So, and you may or may not want to talk about this later, but I've sought for 22 years now to, to grow a company really based upon kingdom principles. So about 22 million people a year around the world will come into our uh, into contact with what we do. This year I've been advising a £26 billion pension fund that looks after 80,000 people on how to get ready for the future saying to them, in effect, what got you from where you started to where you are now is not going to get you to where you need to be in this fast-changing world. And so it won't surprise you from the earlier comments that a delight is to work with their senior team, their CEO, their CFO, their operations director, and several others of their senior managers with a flip chart. So, okay, let's explore how you got from where you are to here, what's working, what isn't working and to build into that approach what I would describe as kingdom principles, but without using God, Holy Spirit, Jesus, Bible language. But if you're going to go through change and take your team through change, you're going to be taking them outside their comfort zone. For everybody outside the comfort zone, something lurks out there called fear. And the Bible teaches us that love casts out fear. So what I've been doing with them without using biblical language, is to talk about how do you love your staff through a period of change because it's the number one thing that you have as a gift to give them that will cast out the fear of change. So dialogue around what does love look like in practical ways. And one of the most holy moments that I've experienced in business was when I asked the CEO to make himself vulnerable and talk about a time of change in his own life. And he recounted, I thought it was going to be three minutes, Nigel, he actually took about 30 minutes with the senior team. Delightful man, not a Christian to my knowledge. And he talked about his three encounters with death, his three brushes with cancer, where by all likelihoods he wasn't going to live and how he'd coped with that. And Nigel, at the end of that, I wasn't in church, we weren't out in a mission or something. It was holy. We sat there and I said, 
just out of reverence and respect, I said, we cannot speak for 60 seconds to honour the man and honour the moment. Very powerful. But what had happened? Truth. It wasn't corporate truth. It wasn't politics. It was a truth of this man's heart that in utter sincerity and without any self-pity. So it's seeking to bring eternity into the boardroom in that kind of way that is one of my ways of thinking now. Mm, wonderful. Now, when I asked you before the interview what your interests and hobbies are, you just said, Jesus is my hobby, my life, my everything. <laughs> uh, and with this in mind, um, you, like Jesus, seem to be a man on a mission. You're clearly a doer, a, a man who wants to make a difference. Um, and you have got things that you want to continue to accomplish in your life. In 2015, uh, uh, I understand you stepped aside from the day-to-day -day management of AHC and set up a charity called City Vision. Hmm. Uh, just briefly, tell us about City Vision, how it started, and, and what is the purpose of this charity? Hmm. Um, I've still got things to do that I want to do in corporate life, although I don't spend that much time in it these days. I want to run, for example, I believe it's right, to run a, a fairly significant airlines conference for the world's major airlines in Dubai next year. But these days, 90% of my time um, is on a different tack. About three years ago, I found myself reflecting on um, a whole bunch of things that have happened. And I've, and I've said this now for a number of years, that if we are observant about what God is doing in our lives, we we'll find that there's a dot here and there's a dot there and there's another dot. And it's a bit like when you're a kid, you know, there was a thing that you used to do that if you join the dots, eventually at one point, one more dot, and then suddenly you could see what the picture was that those old dots formed. And I, I always believed that there would come a time in my life when the dots in my life would join up. Things at the time that were highly significant, but which didn't have any... I didn't understand what the, the life significance was, and I'll just give you one illustration was, um, or maybe two, but, but one of them was, um, I was fairly raw as a Christian, I, I didn't, hadn't been a Christian very long, and I was at a prayer meeting, and another Christian businessman came up to, the, to me at the end of the meeting, and he said, God's given me a word for you, and I was okay, that sounds interesting, um, what is it? He said, he, and at this time, Nigel, I was a sales director of a very small industrial video, business to business video company we would make you a video to tell your story to other companies and we were selling and producing them we would make it for you for about five thousand pounds okay i'm talking about you know the, the very early 80s 1980s and he came out he said i've got a word for you i said oh yeah well, what's that um, peter and uh, he said that god says he's going to give you a large order um it half of it will be print and it will be in stage payments well i was floored it's like I didn't know my Bible very well, but I knew that wasn't in the Bible. And I didn't have a clue how to respond. And I said, well, what do I do about it? Do I fast? Do I pray? He said, you don't do anything. He said, if that's of God, it will come to pass. So the following day I went in and I said to my MD, Mike, I said, we've got a large order coming in, bearing in mind we didn't do any print. And the average order size was about 5,000. I said, if we've got a large order coming in, half of which is print and it's going to be in stage payments, and he, he knew that I love Jesus and that I talked about Jesus a lot. And he kind of looked at me quizzically and he said, Tony, um, who's the sales director? And I said, I am. He said, have we? I said, no. Well, he just had the word stupid written across his face. As, and he just walked away in disgust. Three months later, when we were driving back from Huddersfield, from a 3,000-strong company, with an order 100 times the size of anything we'd ever got, and they said, because you're doing all the video programs, would you please produce all the brochures and print them? And because it's a very large order, will you uh, take stage payments? I was sitting in the back of the car and thinking, last time I raised this, he thought I was an idiot. And uh, in reference to a, another question I know you're going to ask later, I'll, I'll say, I won't, I'll relate another bit of this story back then. But I was sitting in the back of the car and I just said to the Lord, how can I tell him? How can I tell Mike? And right at that moment, Mike turned and he said, what was that stupid question you asked me three months ago? And I was released to say, God has given us this business. And that led to, at the end of that, a major employee communication exercise that um, the company got involved in. That was the stepping stone to the next job. 
when I finally got promoted and became a national practice leader, I knew how to do half the job, but I knew there was another bit that nobody knew how to do. I prayed about it. I was walking through WH Smith's one day, and out of the blue, I just felt God say, go and buy a copy of Management Today. And I thought, I don't want to do that. I've got my Christian books. I want to study my Bible. But it was a very strong impression from God to go and do that. So I opened Management Today, and I found the answer to the question that I'd been asking. And I, it reeked of integrity. I contacted the magazine. They put me in touch with the professor consultant who had written the uh, article. And as a result, I went into the Bank of England and ran a whole bunch of culture change projects with him, uh, work, workshops. And, and it was things like that and a lot of other things that I thought, God, why do you keep doing this? What, what, where, where do the dots join up? So to answer your question, three years ago, I found myself looking out and I said, I've had 30 years experience of taking large numbers of people from A to B over a five-year period, sometimes as large as having to consider populations of 500,000 people. It could be 300,000, 200,000. And I thought, what's that size? That's actually a city size. And the issues of retirement savings and trade unions and company politics and investment, all that. Actually, there's a lot of issues there that are to do with the issues that cities have to deal with. And also at that time, which we'll come on to a later thing about the word of God, I'd become very, very conscious of Jesus' teaching on the kingdom. And I thought, I haven't got a clue what my city would look like. When I pray, thy kingdom come, I do not know what this city would look like if the kingdom came in fullness. So I'm praying, and I don't even know what I'm praying for. And that really took me right back, back really to basics as to what is the kingdom of God, what was Jesus' essential teaching. And all this dots started to come together in the sense of I've been preparing you for an apprenticeship, in an apprenticeship to address the issue of how can cities be discipled. And certainly in Jesus' uh, injunction that we are to disciple nations, it's become very clear to me that if we can't decide, if we don't understand how to disciple of a city, we can't disciple a nation. So how do you disciple uh, a nation or a city? Well, how does God do it? God does it this way. He sends a Moses to a Pharaoh. He sends a Nehemiah to a king. He sends a Daniel to a king. He not only works from the bottom up, he works from the top down. And so for the last three years, I've been working increasingly with others. I've spoken to hundreds of people in business, in the church, uh, in government, in the UK, government ministers here, in Africa, in Australia, in Europe, in America. And we've gone on a mission to, to really get to grips with this whole issue of how, do, how does a city get discipled. Have we got answers? Some. Have we got all the answers? Absolutely nowhere near. So the last three or four years has been really focusing my business apprenticeship, the lessons from business, the be wise as serpents experience from our history, along with the be wise, be, be as harmless as doves, mm -hmm. to the whole issue of um, what does a city look like with the kingdom come, mm -hmm. and how do we befriend and get and come alongside with the civic leaders, the mayor, the chief executive, the head of social services, to say that we want to work with you as you are seeking the blessing of the people in this city, so are we. How can we love and serve you mm. and work together? Wow. Big vision. Mm. Amazing. Amazing. I, I want to move on and talk about the Word of God now. Um, and, uh, and a little bit about your journey of inductive study, because um, that has been, to some extent, quite significant in your life, hasn't it? Very. Do you want Very. to talk about that? Yeah. <clears throat> um, I would go back again to about 1982-93 when I came across inductive Bible study. It was introduced to me by some Americans who uh, were over in, in the UK and this was one of the great finds of life. It was an invitation to a simple process of how to engage with scripture. Um, if you want it as simply as a simple cure day approach. <laughs> and I discovered in booklet form where the simple presentation of a series of questions about scripture took you to a whole new level. It was like getting on the mine shaft and really going down and starting to mine at the coal face as opposed to living on the surface and skimming on the surface. 
this whole braking system, B-R-A-K-I-N-G, the whole slow down, put the word of God under the microscope and start to be invited and led through as the precept Bible studies do. An invitational way of going at your speed to stop and ask the most basic of questions that seem almost too trivial to ask <laughs> through the stopping and reading of scripture. But what I realised was that in this very fast world in which we live, Nigel, virtually nothing else will induce you. There's no other way, a self-facilitated means, if you want to go through it yourself, you can go through it in a group, a way of really slowing down and saying, what are these words and what do they actually mean? And how am I responding to them? And I, I personally am a great, great fan of inductive Bible study. And I know that Precept do this wonderful three-tier, three-level way, and you always smile when I raise it, but in my simple language, the baby bear, 40-minute uh, studies, uh, the mummy bear, far deeper, and the ones, uh, the daddy bear ones that really are, you cope with it, but... But I, I've just got here, haven't I, two or three of the 40-minute studies that I've been working through. You should go through them in six weeks, um, each one. I, I'm still, two years later, going backwards and forwards through one of them. I've, I'm working through someone. But, um, and I think this was the one that really got me into, into the precept materials, being a disciple, counting the real cost. And uh, you would see this if you were here. It's marked up, different colours. We can all underline things in our Bibles, but you can write and scribble and rewrite and pray and think about these things and to me it just works deeper and deeper and it was the big trigger as I this particular one as to as opposed to reading just a verse here and a verse there what what the the precept materials triggered was it was a, an imagined dialogue with Jesus with how could I be a better disciple and I imagined Jesus saying well do you know what I said and I'd say yes, and I would quote John 3.16 or John 5.24. And I suddenly realised it was a bit like Eric Clapton asking you, can you play the guitar? And you saying, yes, I know A major or G flat. And him shaking his head, that is not playing the guitar. <laughs> and it led on to the thought of, well, what is the equivalent of a riff, thinking in guitar firms? You know, what is a riff? What is the longest single thing that Jesus said? recorded and it's the Sermon on the Mount and I prayed for help and miraculously for me because if you knew what my memory was like this is just amazing but in three months um, I memorized um, the Sermon on the Mount the three chapters Matthew 5 6 and 7 um, word perfect and that's transformative because I don't know whether ever as a kid you did one of those little things where you draw a little matchstick man on the corner of a page and then you turn it and you move the leg a bit and you move the leg, the, the turn a page and, and you do it. And then when you flick it, it's like they run. Okay? And memorising a big chunk of scripture was exactly like that. I saw depths, themes, harmonies, emphases in what Jesus was saying that I'd just not seen before. And, and that, that was triggered and that came. From, from inductive Bible yeah. study. So, yeah, I'm the greatest of fans. Of, yeah. And you were sharing as well. I mean, you, you're obviously clearly still very intimately involved with the business, although you're not running it day to day. Mm. But, I mean, you shared with me recently that actually out of a study on leadership that you were doing, um, God led you to make quite a significant decision in your business. Yeah, for the last six years, I've had um, a CEO. I stepped back, became chairman. And the CEO came from um, a very, very big, very, very uh, big uh, financial organisation, a very astute, very competent corporate professional, absolute superb professional. And, and I knew, and I felt very privileged, that God had brought him to run my business. And there was no doubt to my mind, that, and the peace of my heart, and a whole bunch of other circumstances that I won't go into. And I said to him before I came, you know... Um, Look, I'm a Christian. Um, where are you on this? I said, I don't necessarily expect you to be a Christian, but where are you on the fact I don't want you to uproot your family, move a long way, only to say, I wish I'd known, I would never have come. And he said, I have no problem with that. I was raised as, uh, uh, in a, uh, I went to church, but he said, I've never figured out where, where Jesus fits in, but I, I have no problems with that. And we worked together, but over six years, clearly we came to increasingly really um, a very, very different way of 
seeing how the business should be run to the point that it was causing me um, significant pain and challenge and stress. And I felt in a very awkward place, Nigel, because I thought I can't do anything about it because God's brought this man. So I can't say, look, you know, we, we have to part company. So I really struggled with this. And, and through the year, uh, one of the precept studies is rising to the call of leadership. And it's really about the whole issue of Saul and David. And what dawned on me as the pressure grew to have to make a decision um, and me thinking I can't make the decision because God's brought it was the realisation through the preset Bible study that I was doing that God had brought Saul. Saul was God's first choice. But there came a time when God, if you wanted to put in employer terms, said it's, a time, it's time to go. It's time to go. And that gave me a great release because simultaneously without, and this is part of the wonder of which God in his sovereignty works, without any orchestration on my part, uh, really at all. It was in the natural course of events. It started off with quite informal dialogue with nothing to do with this. But it, what actually happened was, on October the 12th this year, my existing CEO left, and that was on a Friday, and on October the 15th, the Monday, the new CEO started, a splendid Christian who uh, is also the chairman of uh, CAP, Christians Against Poverty, uh, Against Poverty started and I have to say in the Lord I f there was a real sense of Saul has gone and David has come mm. and I just see the miracle of God saying um, I called you into business Tony and I'm with you as I have been as, and, and I just see this and it's a privilege to be able to pray together um, there's still lots of questions I need answering but I can't think of a more significant change in my life than that that's happened this year and that came out of the inductive Bible study rising to the call of leadership. Well, it's the word of God, isn't it? It's the word, it's, of, it's God. The word of God and as you slow down and meditate on it and ask the questions that you're talking about, you, you're, you're giving God time to speak. And I think, as you said before, you know, we live at such a pace that actually God's trying to get our attention but we're just not listening because we're living life so, so much. And, and um, there's, a, there's a lovely French phrase... Um, uh, we used to have a motorhome go driving in France and uh, every now and then there'd be like a sleeping policeman, you know, in the road and we'd have to slow down. And in France they call them a ralentisseur, that's the French for a sleeping policeman. It's a slowing down mechanism is what it actually means. And I think what you've said here is this slows you down um, because as you ask the questions, you've got, you know, you're looking for the answers and as you're marking the text, it, it slows you down and, and you're actually honouring God by honouring his word and allowing him to speak. Absolutely, and it is his word. Uh, it is the word of God. And, and God has somehow impregnated his word with his own DNA. But in, as in the human body, I look at you, I can't see the DNA. I would have to, I don't know, <laughs> take a biopsy and put it under a microscope or something. But in some ways, that's a similar process. You start to encounter the DNA of God when you stop in this inductive Bible study way. Um, it says of Mary, doesn't it, that she, she pondered these mm. things in, our, mm. in her heart. Mm. And that's what it really does. It, it, it invites um, a far deeper pondering, a far deeper meditation of what God is saying. And when you do that, you draw near to God. And God promises when you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. Wonderful. It's a divine process. It can't be broken. So as you... As you go through this inductive Bible study process, you draw close to God and he draws close to you. It slows you down. So in that process, again, divine process, be still and know that I am God. It, it stills you. It slows you down. So it's an invitation from God. But as you join in the process, he facilitates a knowledge of himself, his DNA, his ways to you that are truly transformative. Yeah. Wonderful. Now, do you have a favourite Bible book in the Bible? I ask all my all the folks that. Do you have a favourite Bible book? Do you have, do you have one? I think it is Esther. Esther. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the only book in the Bible that I think God's name is not mentioned. Yeah. But I see divine encounter. I see divine timing. 
And whether I'm right or wrong, I mean, I, I don't know. Um, but what I see in it, um, there comes a point in the story when Esther goes into the king and she says, basically, you know, Haman's ripped us all off. He's conned us, he's deceived us. Could you please issue king um, a, a fresh law or can you cancel the law that says it's a righteous thing, basically, for your people to murder all the Jews? And the king says this, and this is what, for me, is so wonderful about the book of Esther. He says, the law of the Medes and Persians cannot be undone. Oh, so what are we going to do? The law still stands that it's going to be a righteous thing for the Jews to be murdered. But he says, this is what I can do. I can issue a fresh law <laughs> that it is a righteous thing for the Jews to defend themselves. And what I see in that is that first law of the Medes and the Persians is the law of sin and death. It stands. It stands. God hasn't cancelled it. But what he has done is released a higher law, which is called the law of of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And if you operate in that law, you can overcome, you can have victory, you can live on a different plane of existence because you are in the Lord, you are of the spirit, he's with you all the time. As I say, in terms of business, you know, people say to me, well, can you be in business and be a Christian? I, th I think you can't be in business and be the best businessman or woman that you want to be without Christ because you simply do not have access to divine wisdom. <laughs> and I tell you, in the boardroom, if you've got divine wisdom, you're going to be the best that you can be if you're seeking to live a moral life and put Jesus first. He will give you the wisdom. He certainly has me. There's no way I could have bought. I mean, if you've got a blank check on you and you, you, you feel like using it, Nigel, the, the company at the moment would be valued somewhere between 15 and 20 million. I'm a council house kid, right? I don't, they don't do stuff like that. People from my street, the ceiling of expectation was low. You don't end up buying mansions. You don't end up going to Boeing in uh, Seattle or um, Chicago or talking to the kinds of people I find myself with. This is God. This is God. But he gives you wisdom. And it's like Solomon when he took over from David. He didn't ask for riches. No. He said, I have to rule your people. The mm. number one thing, Lord, mm. is that I need wisdom. Yeah. Amazing. And this is, has to be the cry of every real business person's heart. Give me the wisdom for this day. Mm. And true wisdom is only found in God. Nowhere else. Final question. Is there a verse in the Bible that you would say is a favourite Bible verse? Um... <laughs> There are so many. It's always a challenge, isn't there? I, I, would, I don't know. We might not have time, but I'd certainly tell you, I'd like to tell you, if possible, about my favourite Bible character. But, um, probably okay. the verse for do me. Character. Do, do character. Do character and then okay. verse. Okay. Um, favourite character is Abraham's servant. Okay. I mean, we would all choose Jesus, obviously, or Paul or Peter, but he's Abraham's servant in Genesis 24. The story of him meeting um, the wife-to-be for Isaac is one of divine encounter and the simplest of prayers and an awareness of in the moment to ask and have your eyes open and expect the answer, which is exactly what happens. How did he, why is that so significant? Because for me, you're getting a glimpse. Where did he learn to pray and look for God like that in the now, in the moment of decision-making? He obviously learned it from Abraham. We have a glimpse of our Abraham had discipled him. So he's my favourite character. And certainly in, in my life since being a Christian, divine encounter, unexpected, surprised by God every turn of the way, um, has been my experience. So I love that character because you're at a bus stop or a checkout, you can speak to God in your heart and, and he can show you in the person that's right in front of you something that you can bless with words or a gift. In terms of verse, probably Romans chapter 4, I think it's 17. God who calls the things that be not as though they are. Somebody gave a prophetic word over me um, last year that you're somebody who knows how to create something out of nothing. Well, it seems to happen. Give me the flip chart, let's start planning. And something that none of us have dreamt of 
will come out of apparently nowhere, but then we can start to move towards it and start to build it. Yeah. Tony, um, you clearly have, um, you're still on a mission. You've got a big vision for um, our country, uh, for the country to come back to the Lord. And uh, the vast majority of people live in the big cities and uh, God has called you to set up this uh, charity city vision. And I know things are starting to become very encouraging with that. Mm -hmm. So I want to pray for you as you lead that, that God will continue to give the wisdom, um, continue to give you the perseverance, because you're an evangelist as well. You can't go anywhere without telling about Jesus. <laughs> and uh, thank you for uh, being willing to come share about um, your life and what God's done in your life. And, uh, you know, obviously you're giving him the glory for it. Mm. Um, and also, you know, it's just been fascinating to hear. Obviously, we're involved in, in, in the ministry, Precept Ministries, but it's such a blessing for us to hear um, people who are taking on board the skills uh, of this thing called inductive study, which nobody really understands really, but of slowing down, as you've described, and actually that it's had such a significant impact. And I pray that... As people listen to this podcast, people who do struggle with studying the Bible, a lot of people do struggle with studying the Bible, that they may investigate um, these resources. And particularly if you're in a leadership position, you know, um, wherever that may be, whether it's leading a family or, or, or uh, in business or military, whatever it may be, uh, rising to the call of leadership is a great, great study. And it was just a blessing to hear how the Lord has led, used that and led you in recent decisions. So thank you so much for appearing on the podcast and uh, bless you as you continue serving uh, the one true, awesome, amazing God. You've been listening to the Bible and Me podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to subscribe and leave a rating or review. If you want to find out more about Precept Ministries UK, visit www.precept.org.uk. Thank you.